I want to tell you something that's uh, dear, dear to my heart. I'm a dad now, so my sense of humor has got cheesier and cheesier. It's just wonderful. It's just literally, uh, it's, it's, it seems a, a rite of passage. You become a father, and you just lean into something called dad jokes. It's wonderful. It's like, that's just a niche. And what's more, what epitomizes dad jokes more than anything else is the classic knock-knock joke. Oh, the knock-knock joke, it never goes out of fashion. And uh, there's much uh, debate about where did it originate, where did the knock-knock joke came. And some people will go back and to say, Shakespeare and Macbeth, he wrote the words knock-knock, and it was the first time that they were put together. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but it's, it's not in the shape and form as we know today. That, that, is, that, that honor belongs to a man named Bob Dunn who in 1936 penned the official first knock-knock joke that flows with the formula that we know and love. You know the formula? Knock-knock. You know that formula. That's, that's, the, that's Bob Dunn. He's got that on his tombstone, the author of the knock-knock joke. What a, what a man. What a way to live. But his initial joke, this is the first one ever, and let's give it a go. He says, knock-knock. Rufus. Rufus, the most important part of the house. The first knock-knock joke, guys, in history was that one. Wow, beautiful. Well done, Bob Dunn. But there's a few uh, more that I love, you know, because as they said, after that moment, the rest is history. These jokes have developed. They've got cheesier and cornier. They've made their ways into the, the pinnacle of existence. Christmas carols, uh, Christmas crackers at Christmas. That's where you bring them out, and we celebrate that. But how there's a couple that I really love, some biblical ones. Knock-knock. Noah. Noah, place I can stay for the night. There we go, there we go. All right, let's try one more. You guys are loving these, aren't you? Knock, knock. A little old lady. I didn't know that you could yodel. Ah, well, there we go. With that said, we've been doing a series called Into the Wild. And if you haven't been around, it's been a four-part series where we have, in a sense, we've been allowing the, if I can be as, uh, as crass to say, we've been allowing the knocking of heaven to become louder and louder in our hearts. That actually we are, we are people that, and we're not taking it as a joke, we're not taking it lightly, but actually the very heartbeat of God, allowing it to stir in, our, in our, the very recesses of our souls again, and saying with the knocking of heaven, the desire of heaven, what God wants to open us into, become the resounding song of our story. That actually we wouldn't be about anything else that, that is not on His heart. If it's on His heart, it has to be in our hearts. That we want to build our church not on our style, not on our form or fashion or how do we think church should be. No, we want to build it biblically and what is on his heart for the church to look like. So that's what we've been trying to put into our hearts. And actually the knocking of heaven, the knock-knock of heaven is saying, will you let my spirit in? The spirit of God wants in on our stories. He wants in on our services. We want, he wants in on our lives. He wants in on our nine to fives. He wants in on every waking, breathing, eating, sleeping moment of our existence. And he'll keep knocking until we open the door wide. Knock, knock! Spirit of God, people, come on. And it ain't no joke. And actually, we want to roll back to the first mission of the church. Understand, what is the existence? Why do we gather? What are we here for? And one of the key illustrations of this is Jesus. When he sets it up by saying in Acts 1 verse 8, he says to the church, you shall receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I can imagine Jesus saying this in a, in a dramatic voice. You shall receive power when he comes upon you. And the guys looking around, the early disciples saying, us? Who, me? Couldn't be. Then who? It's like, knock, knock. Who's there? They're trying to work out. Who is it? Who are you talking to? And Jesus is saying, yes, you. You ordinary, unqualified, disqualified, fumbling, bumbling, oftentimes stumbling, you. You shall receive power. 
And that's still the invitation to us. And the question that we ask is, what was that power for? Glad you asked. We just keep reading. It says, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. Not to have great church services. Not to have a charismatic style and flair. Not, nothing wrong with that, but actually the power was given to be my witnesses. To be a people who have experienced his, his love, who's experienced his grace, experienced his forgiveness, and now we go and tell. And we'll make this known. And he says, where are you gonna do this? He says, boys, you're gonna do it in Jerusalem. You're gonna do it in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In a sense, he pulls it back wide. He says, knock, knock. And he says, who's there? He says, the world. We're going global with this thing. And I love this reality. We said in this, in this, this series, we said in 2011, Drake and Kanye West wrote a song called There's No Church in the Wild. Lamenting the fact that the, that the churches were full on a Sunday, but not with the type of people that they were existing for. Not for the church had no reach into the streets, into the broken, depraved parts of society. And that lament has reached our hearts saying, but actually they hadn't met a church called Life Changers. Because we're called not just to be a church on the block, but biblically called to be the city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. We wanna be a people who are called to fill cities, not just fill buildings. This is the passion of our hearts, this is the cry of Jesus' heart. In a sense, he said, into the wild you go. And we wanna keep reminding our safe, suburban, sanitized, comfortable church, say we exist to be into the wild. And I love the fact Jesus says that in Acts chapter one, and as you start to read the narrative of Acts chapter two through to 28, you realize that through persecution and prisons, through storms and snake bites, through riots and revivals, the church grew. And the gates of hell would not prevail and the church grew not as a holy huddle, but as a hell-plundering horde. This was not some neat and tidy, led by a committee mandate. This was a group of ordinary, unschooled, unqualified, fumbling, bumbling, and oftentimes stumbling people who have the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're calling ourselves to. So I want to ask us today, we're going to preach this one more time before we land this series and head into the Christmas season together with faith in our hearts. I'd love you to turn to your neighbor and say to him, knock, knock. Say, who's there? Say, it's you and me, baby. (laughs) And if you one day get married and that was your intro line, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful group of people. And as we gather this morning and we share about all these people who are joining our story and partnering in the gospel and linked, we take our time with it because people are precious to you. We're not here just to try and fill seats. We want to thank you, Father, that every seat tells a story, a story of your grace, a story of your redemption, of what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do through us. So I thank you, Father God, would your spirit fall upon every single heart here today? Would you move in the the deep recesses of who we are? Shift us away from just the, the, the average. Shift us away from the apathetic. Shift us away from just church and business and life as usual, Father God. Awaken us to true reality. I pray, God, would as we hear the knock, knock of heaven, we'll swing wide the doors and allow the King of glory to come in. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to read this portion of Scripture together, and I'll make comments as we go. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 17, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. Just quickly, when it says about that time, the the time they're talking about, the, the, the writer Luke is writing and giving us an account of the early church, 
and he's locating us at about that time in the area the disciples are. They are no longer in Jerusalem. They've moved and they're reaching out into Samaria and Judea. And the reason they're there is not because of some church planting strategy. No, it's because of persecution. They're on the run. They're they're no longer the popular figures of society. They're, They're ducking and diving. But as they go, the church is growing. I just want to say I love the fact that we don't need ideal conditions to see the church of Jesus Christ grow. We don't need uh, political approval. We don't need to be on the right side of the numbers. We don't have to be on the right side of the vote. According to scripture, actually, so often those are the conditions where the church shrink back. I'm not waiting until I have a Christian government. No, I actually, I see the church thrives when there's actually been opposition to who we are, who we call to be. We thrive because he's on our side. Jesus is with us. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword beheaded. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, and this took place during the Passover celebration. Before we read on, we start this narrative. Herod's on the throne. James is dead. Peter's in jail. A church are terrified, but I'm I'm starting to wonder where if you rewind a few pages to Acts chapter 1, they are a small, nervous bunch who's just hiding away in an upper room. How in a few chapters have they become the center of political ire, having people, their, their leaders having their heads cut, cut off, other leaders thrown in jail, falsely accused, held under false pretenses. How is, and, and this is great, great, great approval of the people. How have they become public enemies, number one? How has such a small group become so significant in such a small time? I love the fact that the reality for me is this. Ephesians chapter one says, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. And I have to tell you, this is the heartbeat of God, that actually the whole of history is not us as an addendum on the side. The church and the bride of Christ is at the very center of the story. Not to draw attention to ourselves, but to say, actually, we exist to see the people of God reached for his name. This is the incredible reality. I want to remind our hearts and anchor my hearts when I feel feeble, when I feel, what are we doing here? I keep going back to scripture, to his heart, as he knock knocks, remind you what I want in on your story. We are plan A for this world. Let me say it again so one other person besides John can say amen. We are plan A for this world. He has no plan B. No one else is coming. This is the rescue story. You and I, now through the church. This is us. Let's keep reading. Verse four. Then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I love that line. Other translations say that while he was in prison, the church kept on praying. As Jesus would have said uh, when he taught on prayer, he said the church kept on knocking, 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 knocking. And I love the fact of going, what would that prayer meeting have looked like? Because if if I'm honest, I'm going quite nervously, James has just had his head chopped off. Peter's in jail. Where next? Run! I'm not sticking around until the, 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 the masses come with their pitchforks to come and drag us in a, behind Peter. No, no. I love the reality that they start to pray, and Peter is, in a sense, as good as dead. He's got four squadrons. He's, he's, he's locked down. This is uh, the, most, uh, most, um, the most incredible situation where Peter's down and out, and they know that the next morning he's probably following the way of James. Here's going. This is the whole leadership story of the church is destabilized. We should be in chaos. 
But I love the fact that the church in that moment, and I don't think there were these bold, wonderful prayers, but there were prayers that were just knocking, saying, God, would you open a door? We don't know what that door looks like. We don't know what it's gonna be, but we're just gonna keep on praying and we'll pray for Peter because we don't know what else to do, but we're gonna keep asking that you would work a miracle. And as I read that, I just felt the words of Jesus he's declared to us saying, never write anyone off when it comes to God. Never write off a situation that's too far gone. I love this reality that the prodigal, the runaway, the stowaway, the thrown away, the people that everyone else has forgotten about and you think is a hopeless case, can I tell you, God says, Do you, will you keep on knocking? Will you keep on asking? Will you keep on pleading before the throne of God? Because I will, I'm about to work. Uh, this week, we, there's a, a, a young lad in our church story who was in trouble. He had uh, done something stupid and he's in high school and because of that thing that he did, he was facing the firing squad more probably colloquially, the, the, the board of governors. But in the sense, they were, they were wanting to expel this boy. And this was a, 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 a dreadful moment where a boy, for a one moment's decision, a bad decision, it seemed like it would just color the rest of his life. And this incredibly terrible moment as he was gonna go face him, had to have an appeal, had to have all the, 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 the people had written letters to vouch for his character and what, why this wasn't right and all, all these different stories. We got a phone call from a friend of ours who's a pastor up in Pretoria called Rory Dyer, and he said, I'm flying in because I want to be on the school grounds praying while that meeting's happening. And, and when, that, when that message came, the mom of the boy who heard about it just said, is that guy crazy? Like, he leads a church of multiple thousands. He's going to get on a plane, fly here, just to walk on the grounds and pray? Not to come into me, just to pray on the grounds? Is he crazy? That was what she said. And as she said that, it just fell in my heart saying, oh, maybe we're just not crazy enough. Maybe we're just too sobered up. Maybe we just have forgotten the power that we have, the power of prayer, the power of our story, that actually the church, we are called to go. We, when the chaos hits, the church aren't retreating. The church are stepping into the chaos. I'm here. We're here. I don't really know what else I've got to give, but I know he said he'll give me power power to be his witness. This is the story that I love, and I love the fact as he stepped onto the grounds, as he gets into the arena, as he starts to pray, when everyone else in a sense is running away, when the church are stepping, uh, when everyone else is stepping away, the church are stepping towards the pain, towards the chaos, towards the hurt. And I want to tell you, just to let you know so you can resolve that story, God intervened in that story where it was in the, the 11th hour the story came and turned around, where expulsion was turned around to be just a suspension and rescued a child's future in that school. I think it's incredible. I think it's amazing. But more than that, I think it's the fact of the picture of a man saying, I'm gonna step into the story. I'm gonna inconvenience myself and step in the story. And I wanna tell you that that reverberated in my heart so much because actually, I think I've missed it recently. Uh, the other night, I woke up in the middle of the night, kids' situation, toddlers, that's what happens sometimes. And uh, I was up and uh, I looked at my phone and there was a whole string of messages. I was like, whoa, what's this? And it was our road group. Our road group was going crazy, two in the morning. And I quickly looked and I said, there's somebody who was asking for help saying, actually, there's a need for an ambulance. Please, can someone phone the ambulance, come, come help? We're in trouble. We need something to people to come help us. And I saw a few people responded and an ambulance was on the way. And I was lying there and I was like, oh, I'm very comfortable in my bed right now. And I thought, and they're covered. They're covered. Someone's there, ambulance. I don't want to. And I start with excuses and all the, the rationale of why. You know, and Mike, I've got kids to look after. And, and I just started to realize I missed this moment. I missed it. I missed it. That actually, the people in need were saying, help, we need. And the church, it was me, was hiding in my bed in comfort. And I remember I woke up next morning just feeling so saddened by this thing, going, God, that's not who you've called me to be. 
preaching this series but failing to live it. It's like, ah, someone else should preach. But just a reminder saying, actually, I don't want that to be my story. I don't want to be that story. We, we've learned that actually God has called us when we understand who we are, that actually we have power, not just when we gather on a Sunday. Yes, this is important and vital, but we have power when we step in out as his witnesses. That's when the power wants to be released. That actually, I, wouldn't, I don't know what to do. I don't know, even know what, do we dial 911? I don't know here. You know, it's watched too many movies. I don't know. But actually the church, I could have just stepped into the story. I'm here. How do we pray? And I think we so quickly to disqualify ourselves, but I want to remind our hearts as I read this thing, they were praying. They were earnestly praying. They kept on knocking. I want to just keep reminding and maybe encouraging someone, don't mess with a praying church. Don't mess with a praying mom. Don't mess with a praying colleague. Why? Because chapter 12 starts with Herod on the throne, James dead, Peter in jail, and a church terrified. If you flip to the end of chapter 12, in just a mere 20 or so verses, Herod is dead, Peter is free, and the church are continually, continuing to spread rapidly. And the only difference, boom, a church were earnestly praying. People kept on knocking, kept on asking. So I say this, knock, knock! You guys are doing well. Keep reading, verse six. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. And then comes my favorite word in scripture. It says, suddenly. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll just find that word comes up again and again. Suddenly. It's one of the most common words in Acts. And I love that suddenly because it just reminds me, when you think that situation is dead and buried, just wait for the suddenly of God to break in. And maybe there's some people here who, who, who feel like your life is dead and buried. The story is gone. The deal won't come through. The, the situation won't change. I want to tell you, I, we keep praying, we keep asking, we keep knocking, and we keep trusting that he's still the God of the suddenly. He's still the God of the suddenly. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel knocked, or other translation says the angel struck, or the angel pushed Peter on the side. Knock, knock to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coats and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision, he didn't realize it was actually happening. Knock, knock! <laughs> Peter's not understanding. Thought it was a vision, a dream. And I just keep reminding myself, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. That actually true reality is not what's happening out there. No, the true reality is what's happening in here. What God's doing in us and reminding who we're called to be in this world. Knock, knock, wake up. Verse 10, they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gates leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. I love this. How am I gonna, I love this story. It's almost like, how am I gonna, how am I gonna, how's this gonna happen? Try and tell Peter how this whole narrative of escape's gonna happen. And this was way before prison break, so he's got no tattoos on his body. He doesn't know. And I can just imagine Peter saying, okay, angel, if, if you had to give him a heads up, what he said, walk me through it. And angel says, yes, I will. I'll walk you through it. <laughs> this is gonna happen. Just, anyway, that's an aside. Um, so he passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door. 
Knock, knock. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. This faith-filled prayer meeting, this is their response. You're out of your minds, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel or it must be his ghost. They, they didn't know how to attribute that God maybe had answered their prayers. Peter knocking at the door. And meanwhile, verse 16, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. Very quickly, as we go through this narrative, see three times as you see a church, you're knocking at the door of heaven in prayer. You see the knocking of an angelic force, the, the miracle working God working in the suddenlies and awaking Peter. We see the knocking at the door of a miracle wanting to be led in. We see this knock, knock of heaven. And I, I had this phrase burning in me for the last little while saying, would we become aware of the divine that's knocking at the door of our ordinary? Would we become aware as a church of the divine knocking every day at the door of our ordinary? Because how often do we pass it off as just coincidence? Inconvenience, this sort of reality. I, I, years ago, I, I did survival auditions. Yep, that's what I did in my spare time. For the, the reality TV show, I had dreams of grandeur and I thought I'm gonna make it big, people. This is, this is the new Boston Rob. I'm taking this thing by storm. I went to the auditions and I made it through Audition one, audition two, audition three, and this is not the time and space to tell you that I was this close to become a reality star, people. This close. But um, the whole process, and I realized it got to the end, and they, at the last moment they said, no, you're not going to fit, fit, fit what we're looking for. But I realized all the way through, there was another gentleman, a little bit older than me, who was going through the whole process, and we had every single audition together. Coincidence. Knock, knock. Maybe this whole process was a setup for me to meet this guy to connect with this guy, build a friendship with this guy, who's in a total different world than me. When he says, I'm a pastor, he says, I don't understand because this is my world. I run an online dating site and we just had to navigate and he has a, sees a view from a whole world from a whole different view. And I was like, all right, got his number, built a friendship. This was well and truly over a decade ago. I run into that guy. We, we met at auditions. I run into him every two or three weeks without fail. Without fail, I run into him at different places, the same places, different places, and every time I just hear the knock-knock of heaven saying, do you understand that this is not coincidence? That maybe divinely God has placed this guy right in my life, and I cannot shake him. I cannot offend him enough. I cannot, and I'm going, God, what are you doing? And for me, they have to understand, this is what's going on, and I want to say to you, do you hear the knocking around you? Do you hear the knocking of desperate people saying, will you open up the door? I want to call us to lift our head above the water to see true reality. This series is here to remind us that eternity is on the line. Forget, as Bob Dylan once said, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I think it's more like heaven knocking, knock, knock, knocking on our door. And will the church all realize that Jesus is knocking at our door? And as Muse once declared, said, they said, declare a sense of urgency, declare this an emergency. And I really believe that's a, the posture of the church is that needs the angelic or maybe just a, an angel named Gabriel to come into your life and knock us awake. This is true reality. Stop walking around in a dreamlike state, church, and saying, actually, no, God is saying, I want to work and do something more remarkable than you could ever imagine with you. For such a time as this, I, I tell you the two points very quickly. Number one, it's never convenient. 
Living like this and hearing the knocking of heaven and becoming aware of the knocking of what God is doing and the doors he's wanting to open for us to meet and greet people and connect with people and maybe show them the way to the Father, that knocking is never convenient. I told the story at the beginning of the series about the Titanic. But to fully understand that night when the Titanic went down, there were three ships that were in the vicinity who could have potentially played a rescue role. The first ship was called the Samson, seven miles away. Seven miles away from the Titanic. But what they were doing was they were illegally hunting seals. So as soon as they saw distress signals, they thought, we're getting out of this place. And I think so often we give our lives to compromise and we give ourselves to doing things that are not biblical, what God's called us to. And actually the greatest thing that's being robbed is the fact that we're unaware of the other people who are dying around us. We're so inwardly looking. We've got to get, I don't, I've got my own stuff going on. Secondly, there was the Californian which we spoke about, which was 14 miles away. But as they saw the distress signals go up and begging for help, they convinced themselves that there was more time, that this wasn't their battle. Someone else will get it. In a sense, Gabe Phillips at two in the morning, pulling the covers back over and turning the phone over saying, it's not my problem. And how often do we do that every day? An apathy. The third ship was the Carpathia, 58 miles away. They saw the distress signals, they were on a different journey, but history records them praying a prayer and saying, we're coming after that ship. And it took them three and a half hours in a nine-year-old ship, far exceeding its top speed, to get to the last known place of the Titanic. And they rescued over 700 lives that night. They were the least positioned, they had a different agenda, it wasn't convenient, but for such a time as this. It's never convenient. You remember the 2018 Soccer World Cup? There was another big news event that hijacked that the story of the whole World Cup was hijacked by 12 Thai boys who were lost, locked in a cave, the Thai soccer team. And the whole world stopped. Millions were spent. Navy SEALs flew in and weeks by weeks, this was the news coverage that took the whole attention away from the world because 12 boys and people were decrying, actually, there's so many other tragedies. Couldn't we spend it this way? But actually, so often as a church, we forget that, that our whole story should stop for that one mission. The people in need, the people in peril, and I won't say, are we going to be a church who are willing to be inconvenienced? And I say yes. I say yes. It's always inconvenient. Secondly, it's never impossible. This is his mission. This is his heart. This is his story. This is not us trying to orchestrate something and rah people up. There's a, yesterday we were at our kids' graduation, a little junior junction going from grade R to grade one. And there's this one little girl that gets called up, Willow. Willow Grace Wheeler. And as she goes up, I start to get a little bit emotional because I look to my left and I see her mom and her dad with tears in their eyes cheering her on. And, and on the outset, you'll think, oh, maybe just some exuberant parents of six-year-olds. But no, let me tell you about that guy, Clint. He was a drug addict for many years. He had uh, been kicked out of home and he was living under the bridge just off the, 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 the freeway here for many years until he walked into church and encountered Jesus in a radical way. It's never impossible. Encounter people. And heard the knock of heaven. People who heard the knocking and said, come on in, we'll walk a journey with you. We're not gonna, it's inconvenient, but we're gonna walk the journey. But also, then his wife, now, his name is Menorah, and she is a, was a former Muslim. And what happened was she had a dream. And she pitched up at church one day and said, I had a weeping saying, I need to talk to your pastor because I had a dream of a man in white. And he says, I, I need to know who he is. She gave her life to Jesus. Let me tell you, this is not the church's mission. This is the Father's mission. 
He is more committed to rescuing and redeeming people than we could ever imagine. The most impossible, a Muslim woman and a drug addict living under a bridge are now parents of a little girl who they've named Willow Grace, declaring the goodness of God. This is the type of thing, and I'm telling you, there's stories like that in this room. It's never impossible. God's power is linked to his heart. We've said it before, the cross was basically, as John Calvin said, the father saying, I want my kids back. It's always been about people. We say Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Earth. It's like the cities. We've got to take the cities. No, it's about people, individuals. Because in John chapter 3, Jesus meets a man in Jerusalem named Nicodemus. Then in John chapter 4, he meets a people in Judea who come and they hear the word of God get baptized. In John chapter 4, the next part, he goes to a place called Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and meets a woman at a well at midday and, le- and gives her salvation. And that woman goes to her visit, village and declares the goodness of God and says, I have met the Savior of the world. In John chapter 3 and 4, we see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And it's not cities, it's people. Acts chapter 3, Jerusalem is a man the gate beautiful, set free. In Acts chapter nine, there's an Ethiopian eunuch whose sexuality and identity had been destroyed and crushed, but God says, persecution will come and move you around, but Philip will go and reach that guy. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the captain of an Italian regiment. Acts 16 is a woman, a slave, a Gentile jailer. All of these are people, little stories, as God says, my church will expand rapidly, but it's not gonna be through a nation's army. It's not gonna be through a big preaching campaign. It's gonna be through my church. My fumbling, bumbling, oftentimes stumbling you, me, who sometimes turn the phone over and get it wrong, who sometimes get caught in our own sin and need to come and get asked for forgiveness and say, God, would you set me free again? But the reason we do this together is to remind our heart that actually it's always going to be inconvenient, but it's never going to be impossible. I'll tell you one more story just because I've got the mic and I want to go along today. My dad came and studied here in Cape Town. He was a man who was in a place of desperation and in need and wanted answers and said, actually, he had felt the knocking. He had heard the knocking of religion, but that door was empty. That door was empty. He didn't know where to go. So he thought, he cried out to his parents and said, I need to find somebody who might know some answers. And there was a name that was given about a lady called Gabby and her husband who lived in the southern suburbs. This was a long time ago. And he got in his car and he drove all the way there with tears in his eyes. He walked in, he knocked at the door. They opened and says, what are you doing here, Rowan? He says, I need help. And he sat down and they were able to share the gospel. And that moment led him to Jesus. Now what's incredible is generations after him start to shift and shape because of that moment, of that door being answered, of that door not just being opened with a cup of tea, but actually with the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we planted the city congregation, which is now our evening service here, we had that launch there. I looked to my left and my dad had invited a friend, an older lady named Gabby. And she was standing there, the lady that had led my dad to the Lord many years before. And I got moved because I said, Gabby, why don't you stand up? And she stood up going, whoa, why am I standing? I said, Gabby, none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be here. My children would be here. I don't think this church would have been here because actually God orchestrated all that with an open door. Knock, 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 knock. I want to tell you who's standing behind the door of that knocking. What generations are standing behind the door of that knocking? If we become a church that hear the knocking of heaven and say, I'm not gonna just push it aside, I'm not gonna sleep on it, I'm, not gonna, I'm actually gonna hear the distress calls. I'm gonna hear the people who are in need. I'm gonna hear the people in my business who are saying, I don't know what else to do. I'm gonna hear it and say, I'm not gonna say someone else's problem. I'm gonna step in. The church are here. Are you crazy? What are you gonna do? Yeah, we're not crazy enough. We're gonna step into the battle. We're gonna step and say, we're here. Because I want to tell you right now, we often pray for a move of God. And I believe God says, I have moved. I've put you there. 
As some famous preacher once said more eloquently, we're not waiting for a move of God, we are a move of God. We can keep asking for power, but God says, I says, you shall receive it and you will be my witnesses. Men spend all their days seeking fortune, seeking fame, but none of heaven knows their name. I don't wanna be a man that's about building my own things when the father says, I want my kids back. I don't wanna be a man that's trying to build a neat and tidy church. I'll confess, I prayed this morning on the way here. I prayed, God, would you, would you just fill the seats, God, send people, and as I'm praying that, fuck, God said, I told you I'd do that. I told you I'd do it. Ask, why, why are you asking me for that? I said, you'll, if you go about my heart, if you're about my mission, you'll see the city. I don't wanna be compelled by what I see in the natural. I wanna hear the knocking of heaven. I wanna hear the knocking of heaven. I wanna be a part of a church to hear the knocking of heaven. Why? Because Jesus says, I have seen. He said, I have heard and I have come down. And he left his throne. He left the stage of heaven and he stepped into our sexual abuse. He stepped into our fear. He stepped into our anguish. He stepped onto the grounds. He said, are you crazy? He said, I'm not crazy enough because I'm actually gonna die for them. He stepped into our abuse, our anger, our pain, our misery, our hurt. In this moment, he stepped into it, our suicidal thoughts, our depressive episodes, the places of deeper shame that no one else will ever get to. He said, I'm getting there. And I want to tell you, in that moment, he is knocking. Revelation 3 verse 20 says, I stand at the door and knock. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Open the door to his knocking and you will never have another boring, another inconsequential day in your life. Can we stand to our feet? I wanna pray for us. We've gone on a bit longer. Can we just, for two more minutes, allow our hearts to hear the knocking of heaven? Religion sells us knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Will heaven be open towards us? I want to tell you, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open the door to me? I want to move on in. I want to have rule and reign over your life, over your emotions, over your fears, over your inconsistencies. I want, it, I want in on it. All of this starts with us. Knock, knock, who's there? He says, it's me. Let me into the deepest pain, the deepest fear, the deepest insecurity. As I step into that, he says, you shall receive power and you will be my witnesses. Knock, 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 knock. I feel the Lord saying he'll knock and he won't stop. He'll keep knocking. Some of you, he's bought. Today's a day where he's knocking saying, I want you to come home. You've been running from me for too long. You've been giving into your sin for too long. He's knocking saying, you've been giving into your apathy for too long. Your heart used to be moved by the things of God, but now you're just, you're sitting back and it's not moved. He's saying, knock, 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 knock. I want you, I want you, I want you, and I want you on my mission. I want you to live for the biggest story, the grandest story. I don't want you to live for the bottom line of salaries, of, of money, of finances, of holidays. I want you to live above the waterline, see true eternity. See rightly. We're not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. This is what I'm on about. If you, like me, are saying, I can't turn my phone over again. I can't just walk by again. I can't just leave that door slightly ajar to Jesus and say, you have a part of me, but not all of me. I want all in. Into the wild means say, I'm taking up my cross to follow Him. 
If that's you, can you lift your hands as high as you can? We do this as a response to him, to a Jesus who died on the cross, outstretched, totally, totally given in fullness for our salvation. Jesus, I pray right now, would we hear the knocking of heaven, the knocking of heaven, the knocking of heaven into our arrogant, apathetic, sinful hearts. We hear the knocking of heaven and we say we wanna open up because you say you'll come on in and you'll eat with us. You'll restore us. You'll redeem us. You'll rescue us. You'll set us free. I thank you, Father God, for the suddenlies of heaven. I thank you right now. Chains fall off. Chains fall off that has kept us bound. Chains fall off. I pray for the suddenlies of heaven. I thank you, Jesus, for healing power in this room. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering power in this room. I thank you, Jesus, that this might have been all a setup for one person, two people, three people, for sons and daughters to open the door. And on the other side of our obedience, people are waiting. Generations are waiting. What might look like ordinary, what might look like just another Sunday morning could be the door opening to generations. Knock, 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 knock. I stand at the door and knock. So I pray right now, Father God, set our hearts ablaze for you. Capture our hearts, Jesus, in a fresh way. Thank you, Father God, for this people, this wonderful, righteous, holy people that you have declared yours because of your blood. And I thank you, Father God, right now, we declare fresh and respond to your words to us. You shall receive power life-changing, earth-shattering, demon-chasing, body-healing, resurrection, power, when, not if, but when the Holy Spirit, the very person and presence of Jesus comes upon you, fumbling, stumbling, dropping the ball, inconsistent, disqualified, unqualified, you, because He said, I purchased you for me. And you will be my witnesses. In Century City, in Milnerton, in Tableview, in Somerset, in the city center, in Rugby, in Aesterplatt, in, in Belleville, in Durbanville, in Cape Town, in South Africa, the world, Jesus, you're calling us to a future. So I thank you for this. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jesus says, it's the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.